It's done so that you can host people and welcome them into your home and spend time with them. Well, what I want to do today uh, in a very simple fashion is set the table for the story that will begin next week. This is, this is the prologue. This isn't really the beginning. You're not getting ice cream today. Sorry. But it's important to set the table so that when we get to that place, so that we get to a week from right now, we'll be able to hit the ground running and see great things happen. So there's some basic assumptions that I want to, some basic points I want to bring to you. The first one is this, and it is the basic assumption of the entire campaign. This 31-week campaign that we're about to enter into, 31 Sundays, 31 weeks. And the basic assumption is very simply this. The Bible is one story from beginning to end. The Bible is the story <clears throat> of all humanity, but it is one story from beginning to end. Now, for a lot of people, it doesn't seem like that. Quite frankly, for a lot of people, it seems like a lot of stories that are kind of stuck together. You know, you have the story of Adam and Eve, and you have the story of Abraham, and you have the story of King David, and you have the story of Jesus, and you have the story of Paul. And somehow, all those stories kind of make sense, but one story, no. No, not at all. Um, and, and, and in the end of the day, what I want to tell you is, yes, it is one story. It starts with creation in Genesis. Then comes the fall where Adam and Eve opened their lives to sin. And, and it, you know, if you would, everything started to turn south. In time, the nation of Israel was formed by God and, uh, in order for God to become known. And, 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 and that nation uh, produced Jesus, the Son of God, whose death and resurrection made it possible for God's plan to unfold where all creation would be restored. Um, and it takes us to Revelation. And the promise of what will be someday. You see, the story is how we get from Genesis to Revelation. It's an absolutely remarkable story that God is telling. And I want to tell you this. It has the power to change your life. It really does. Someday, all of creation will be what God initially intended it to be. And you know what? We get to be part of that story a problem while we have this incredible story that is told in the Bible and while most people would love to understand the Bible most people don't get it they're just not aware um, the, the reality is and, and this has actually been spoken to me since we announced the story campaign here a lot of people get confused by the Bible don't put up your hand but is that another place of resonance in your life in terms of what I'm describing um, they just don't understand it even though they might want to. And as a result, a lot of people don't read the Bible. This is a U.S. stat, a statistic, and I don't imagine it's the same now in Canada. We're much farther along the road towards secularization than the States is. But the average home in the United States is four Bibles. Just all over the place. They're there. But at the same time, 41% of that population never reads the Bible. Not once. Um, the, the, even for believing people, he, people who believe what the Bible has to say, for many people, it's hard to understand. So without reading it in either instance, the believing person or the non-believing person, very often there's a lack of the impact that the story can bring into their lives. It's absent. And what the story campaign does is simply exist to help us all understand the Bible, to allow the Bible to become accessible to us 
so that it might impact our lives. It's that simple. Here's the deal. And maybe here's why the Bible is hard to understand, and it's because while it's one story, it is not told chronologically. I've mentioned that to you before. You know, we're, we're used to reading novels, and the novel has an introduction, and then out of that introduction, something happens, and because that happens, then this takes place. Because that takes place, then we move on to the next element of the story, and eventually we come to conclusion. Right? We're used to that. One thing leads to another. But quite frankly, the Bible's all jumbled up. That's not, I'm not being critical of the Bible. That's just the way it's being written, the way it's provided to us. But this book called The Story, and I'm going to show you what I hope you've already purchased, and if you haven't, you soon will. This, this book called The Story reorganizes the material into novel-like reading. Most of the book is directly from Scripture, this book, but not all of it. Um, some parts of the Bible are not here. That's okay. It's not intended to be the Bible. It's not to replace the Bible. But what is here tells the story, and there are, uh, uh, there are paragraphs between portions of Scripture, most of it's Scripture, but there are paragraphs in a different font that are intended to bring connection between the story that precedes it and the biblical story which then follows. It's important to know this. It's important to understand that. So that in the end of the day, the idea is the story will flow from beginning to end. One thing leads to another, which leads to another. And hopefully it'll provide an understanding to you and to all of us as to how the story flows. Best example of this comes from the life of King David. Now, King David was an incredibly godly man. He was an incredible king, the great king of Israel. And... Um, he, he, but he was par, far from perfect. And many of you will know the story of when he really fell into sin. Uh, he saw this beautiful woman named Bathsheba, and he committed adultery with her. She became pregnant to try to cover it up. He took one of his incredibly faithful servants, a soldier, and essentially had him murdered. It's a, it's a despicable thing which he did. King David's not to be the example, right? He, he kind of tells us more about ourselves than about anything else. But he did an awful thing. And then, you know, Nathan, uh, the word literally means gift in Hebrew. God gave him a gift, and the prophet came in front of David, and probably with fear and trembling, he said, David, you have sinned. He confronts the great king about what he has done. And then this follows. I'm going to read it to you from the book. David writes this prayer of confession. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He's talking about what he has just done. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. I'm guilty, he's saying before God. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. And then he writes, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed. I'm adding this in your conviction of me and my sin. Let the bones you have crushed Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew 
a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Where is that found in the Bible? Psalm, anybody know particularly? We want you to know the Bible really well. We want you to study it like you've never studied it before. Someday, I hope you know Psalm 51. Here's the thing. The description of David's falling into sin happens in 2 Samuel. <clears throat> like 10 or 12 books later in the Old Testament are the Psalms. And Psalm 51 contains the confession of David about the sin he committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah. But in this book... The sin is described, the confrontation by the great prophet is given, and the confession is next in line with the story. It provides flow. It brings things together in a way that helps us understand what really the Bible is all about. What is that confession about in Psalm 51? It's about what David had done in 2 Samuel. So you see, the whole idea is that we will have the opportunity to understand Scripture that will begin to make sense to us, probably for many people, in a way that it never has. What we're doing here at IPC, IPC is inviting everyone into this experience to read the story as it is preached here Sunday by Sunday. Small groups will discuss the chapter which is going to be preached prior to the sermon. So this week, small groups are going to get together. And they're going to look at chapter 1, which I'm going to preach about next Sunday. It's all about the beginning of the book, the beginning of the story. Small groups, I hope you're going to do more than that. I hope you get to know one another, especially if you're in a new group. Take time for that. Be intentional. I hope you form the guidelines that are going to form the life of your group, you know? Presence and attendance and participation and confidentiality more than anything else. Agree on those things. But what's going to happen is that, that, that people are going to step into to, to reading chapter 1 and experiencing the power of the Word of God. This is an incredibly different way to study the Bible. It's the overview, not the digging into the text so much, but the messages are clear. The Word of God is powerful. And if we can get to know the story, my friends, if we can understand in this year of the Bible when we as a church according to our vision, are passionate that people will become mature, spiritually mature followers of Jesus by the power of the Word of God, among other things. You know what? God will work week by week by week. And we will understand the story and we will be impacted by it. That's our hope. My hope for me is my hope for you. It's my hope for all of us. Now what I want to do, secondly, is give you an overview of the book. I don't know if you've ever had one. And I'm going to try to make it really simple. These categories we're not going to use as we go. We're going to use other categories, but I think this works just in terms of simple explanation. And the first is that uh, of, of five movements in the Bible, there's the story of the garden. The story of the Garden of Eden, if you would, where um, God essentially um, creates people. He creates the world, and in the end, he creates people so that he might have a relationship with us. You know, that's so simple to say, but it, it is mind-blowing when you really grasp the truth of that. God created people so that he might have a relationship with us. Did they have a relationship with you? You know, I really, really hope so. Because <laughs> that's at the heart of this thing we, which we call Christianity. People like you and me, people who sin like, or maybe not exactly like David, maybe like David, I don't know, but people who sin coming to a place of saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin and entering into this relationship with God and having their lives transformed, made new as we have sung. 
That's for each of us to grapple with. God created people that he might have relationships with us. And I want to tell you, the reality is we need to know the heart of this, the beginning of this story, if the rest is to make sense. A lot of people know the New Testament pretty well. A lot of people know lots about Jesus. I want to tell you, if you don't know the, the Genesis story in the Old Testament, you'll never really understand Jesus and why he had to come. Because you see, what happened is that sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve rejected that relationship, and they, they ended up separated from God. But immediately in that first movement of the Bible, God promises and then launches a plan to get us back, to draw us back into a relationship with him so that we might know him and love him and serve him with our whole hearts. And the rest of the story, I'm telling you, the rest of the story is about how God is doing that, how God has done it and how we, he will do it and, and, and his invitation for us to join him as he seeks to renew the whole world. And the whole world fell into sin. So number one, the story of the garden. Number two, the story of Israel. God essentially forms uh, as the first major leg in this rescue plan and, and, and this plan that he puts in place. He forms this nation called Israel and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons uh, who become the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel and so forth. And through this nation, God reveals himself to us. It's in the book. God says, this is who I am. Here's my heart for you. And through this nation, ultimately, God provides Jesus to us, the one who provides the way back to God, which we did not have before him. And then comes story number three, and it's the story of Jesus. Very simply, this, this son of God who left heaven to become human. Once again, if that doesn't kind of blow your mind, step back and take a little while to think about it. God, the son of God became human, and he did so to make all things right. By what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection, the chaos created by Adam and Eve in the garden begins to be overturned. And I love that idea. It begins. God comes and the kingdom is, it, it comes in its, in its initial expression that God has come to us and then the spirit of God is given to us and everything that was ruined is going to be made right again. All because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. So much so that we can enter into that loving relationship with God because of what Jesus did in the cross, our sin can be forgiven. <laughs> Once again, how does that make sense? But that's the plan of God. And in the end, in the end, my friends, by the presence and the power of God in this world, all creation begins to be renewed. It begins. And after the story of Jesus comes the story of the church. The story of the church. <laughs> You know, the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost, and listen to me, God forms a new nation. And it's not Israel this time. It's not rooted in, in an ethnic connection. It is, it is rooted in the connection it is formed by those who find faith in Christ and who are baptized into him and become the people of God from every nation and tribe and tongue. And as a result of what, what God did in giving us the Holy Spirit, the the presence and the power of Christ is expressed into the world through his church. We become the presence of Jesus to do what Jesus did. To invite people into God's story and to work with all of our might so that the restoration of all things might be accomplished so that the vision which God has for what this world will be will be realized. And then comes the story 
written this way of another garden. Story of another garden, a new garden. And it's really the story that's described to us in Revelation. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but you will in May <laughs> if you haven't before. <clears throat> but where God comes and he restores all things and he creates a new heaven and he creates a new earth and where evil literally is destroyed and where there is no sin and there is no more suffering and heartbreak and brokenness in this, this world anymore. And as was the case in the original Garden of Eden before sin, so we will know God and he will dwell with us and he will be our God. And the world will function as God intends it to function. Do you see the story? Do you understand the breadth and the magnificence of this story? God is at work accomplishing this story. One of the things I love about it is that it, it has been happening all through human history. It's happening right now, today. And it's going to happen until God in his sovereign power brings it to reality and, and to, to the conclusion that he intends. Nothing and no one will keep God from accomplishing his purpose. My friends, I want to tell you this story is, as I think we heard in that video, the greatest story ever told. It's magnificent in its, in its breadth and in its beauty. And it's powerful when it is understood. I want to give you two key things to think about as we enter in. Number one, throughout these 31 Sundays, and we'll break for Christmas and, and so forth, uh, but, but, but we'll keep at it. There, you're going to hear about the upper story and the lower story. And I want you to understand this uh, now. The upper story is how God sees things from his perspective. How God sees things from the vantage point of eternity. He sees beginning from end, and he is leading the world toward that end, as I have said. You know, he sees how everything fits together. He actually incorporates the reality of an evil which is present in our experience. But he overpowers that reality, and he uses it to his end to bring the story to the conclusion which he has determined. That's the upper story. He gets it. He sees it. He's enacting it. He's at work. The lower story is our human story. You know, read the Bible. That's where you hear about all the lower stories of people like Abraham and, and Sarah and King David and, and Paul. And, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. The lower, lower story is our experience of what it's like to be drawn into God and what he is doing. And all we can do when we don't understand what's going on in our lower story is very simply trust God and take steps by faith knowing that as we trust God and as we follow in the way that he calls us to, in spite of our lack of understanding of what's going on around us in any given moment, we know that God is great and God is powerful and that God has a plan and that he is at work so that as we align ourselves to him and to his story, God promises to us something incredible will happen in our lives in the end. I don't know about you, I find that exciting. And the second point I want you to know, and it's, there's, there's a similarity between points one and two I recognize, but I want you to hear this maybe more than anything else. I want this to, to, to dwell in you. Even now, we get to be part of God's story. Do you know that you do if you're his? That if he, is, if he has called you to faith in Christ, we get to be part of that magnificent grand narrative of scripture which we're going to learn about 
We're going to talk lots about that and how that happens, both the upper story and the lower story. We get to engage that story, and we get to become part of what God is doing in his upper story. Let me read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 to you. <clears throat> Pretty well-known verse. For we are God's handiwork. What does that mean? Every single person here who knows and trusts Christ, we have been formed intimately and intentionally by the hand of God. The word handiwork speaks to craftsmanship and great skill. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Hmm, wonder what they are. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see the point? My friends, God has a purpose for your life. God has an intention for your life. God has a role for you to play on the level of the lower story in his upper story to bring that upper story to its conclusion. And again, I don't know about you, but that excites me. So many people, oh, what's my purpose? I don't, have, I don't have meaning in my life. Why does life exist? Is this all there is? There it is, my friends. There it is. We call this living the story. It's the byline for our vision. Getting caught up in what God has created us to do. Allowing God to draw us in and to use us to accomplish not our purposes, but his. And that defines us not as people who are using God for our ends, defines us as people who exist for God's end and for his kingdom's sake. So individually, you know what? <laughs> uh, we get to be part of that story, but I want to tell you too, as a corporate group, as a church, IPC, we as a church have a role to play here and now in what God is doing in this world. Do you understand that? Let me put it this way. <clears throat> I don't know if you think in these terms. Sometimes we look at the world and, and all the tragedy and the brokenness and, we, and, we, and we, we can despair. It's possible. But I want to tell you, God is on the move. Do you believe it? God is on mission, people describe it as. God is busy and God is active and God is powerful. The almighty, sovereign God accomplishing his purposes. And I want to tell you, my friends, he has a job for IPC to do. That's why elders spend a ton of time trying to, to, to discern the vision that God has for us, getting into the presence of God and saying, Lord, you, you lead us. You show us what you have for us in the here and now. How can we be part of what you are doing in this grand narrative? Sometimes God uses people in a dramatic way. Sometimes God uses churches in a dramatic way. World impact kind of way. Sometimes it's not that. It's smaller. Let me tell you to uh, reflect on uh, the story of Joseph from the Old Testament with you versus Joseph, the man who brought up Jesus as his earthly father. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, Mo Joseph's lower story was not a great story for a long, long time. <clears throat> if you know the story, he was the 11th of 12 sons born into his family. He was the preferred child, and as a result, his brothers came to hate him. Literally, they hated him. He was proud and he was arrogant and he was pretentious. He was given the coat of many colors. Look at me, guys. Hey, I had a dream. Someday you will bow before me. What brothers are going to take that well, right? My brothers, well, I won't tell you what they would have done. <laughs> but you can imagine. <clears throat> they hated this young guy. And when they had the opportunity, um, they sold him into slavery, literally. Think about the hurt that that young guy would have experienced, the confusion, the fear. 
And those slave traders took him away from Canaan. They, they took him to Egypt. It would have been a devastating experience. We read the stories, the lower stories of some people, and we don't take time to think about what it would mean for them. When he was there, he was sold to a man called Potiphar, and Potiphar um, recognized capability in this young guy and gave him responsibility, but then he had his Me Too moment. Right? This time it wasn't real. He didn't assault or... or, or, or um, uh, you know, make an advance toward Potiphar's wife, but that's what she said. And this young guy, having been kind of climbed out of tragedy, is thrown into prison, and he languishes there for years. He's there even though uh, longer than uh, he could have been. He could have been released earlier. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve this. Think of the unfairness of what's happened. God, where are you? God, I'm living faithfully for you. God, do you love me? God, do you even notice that I'm here? This is his lore story. But in the end of the day, <clears throat> what happens, and if you want to read about it in the latter part of the book of Genesis, we're going to talk about it in a few weeks, so I don't want to steal too much of my thunder, you know. But what happens is that by the power of God, that young man in his early 30s becomes the uh, second in power to the Pharaoh of the day. And if you know the story, he collects, he, he interprets dreams and he, uh, of Pharaoh and he collects grain for seven years and the years of plenty and then, then comes as... God had enabled him to know those seven years of famine and the entire nation of Egypt is saved because there was food stored away for those seven years. But more than that, and more important even in the God story, it's because there was food in that land, Joseph's family comes down from Canaan to, to dwell in Egypt and they are saved. Remember talking about the story of the nation of Israel being formed? Out of that group of people comes the nation of Israel and out of the nation of Israel comes the person of Jesus and out of the death and resurrection of Jesus comes the salvation of the world your salvation mine the salvation of the entire creation someday and you see in that moment think about the experience of Joseph in his lower story think about the the harm and the hurt and the and the doubt that must have been experienced the the the, the tragedy that he encountered well you know what God was at work, enabling the upper story to be realized. You know, we know that the famous verse that Joseph at one point speaks to his brothers, and it's something like this, that what you intended for harm, God intended for good. God had a plan. And I paid the price, but man, did God use my life. Look what God has accomplished through all that I experienced. But I want to read to you this verse Genesis 45, verse 7. It says it's something very similar. But again, Joseph speaking to his brothers, but God sent me ahead of you. Who did it? God, in his sovereign plan and his purpose. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You get it? A lot of times, the lower story is a rocky road. I'm thinking of Benjamin Bree right now and that little baby in the hospital in London. It's a rocky road. A lot of you have suffered in this life. I have too. God doesn't promise us nirvana, excuse me. He doesn't promise us heaven now. He promises it someday, and it's coming. But he says, I will be with you, and I will strengthen you, and I will keep you. And as you journey this path, you can't see the upper story. That's only something God can see. All we can see, we are told, is the presence and the faithfulness of God and the, the guidance that he gives to us to take the next step in obedience to him. 
my friends, here's the deal. We're going to learn the story of God. His story. The upper story. We are going to learn a lot about the lower story, your story, and what it means to follow Christ faithfully according to the power of the word of God. And someday we will look back and we will understand what God has accomplished through us and why he allowed that and why even in his love he allowed us to suffer in this way. You see, my friends, what I want you to know today, what I want you to hear and what I want you to understand, yes, upper and lower story, but there is something for us that's incredibly important to grasp in both regards. I want you to know the upper story. God, more importantly, God wants you to know the upper story because it's in the context of knowing what God is about that we live our lives. And for thousands of years, God's people have been participating in, the, in, in the, living the lower story but getting caught up in the upper story simply to accomplish what God ultimately intends. And I want to tell you, my friends, that gives us context and that gives us hope. And that, that allows us to follow in a way that is inspired because we know that God is on the move in my life, even here and now. So what are we inviting you to do? I'm going to give you four things. <clears throat> Number one, we want you to engage the story personally. Every week, we want you to take the book and we want you to read the chapter that your small group is about to study together. We have study material that you'll be given. In that material, there are questions and so forth for you to process on your own if you wish. <clears throat> in total, I'm told it takes about an hour to do that through the course of a whole week. I'd encourage you to do it. Dig in. Make the most of this. But then go to your small group and discover in your small group what you probably couldn't discover when you were doing this on your own. We'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, encounter the truth of the Word of God, large chunks of it, if you would, overview given chapter by chapter in a personal way. Secondly, um, en en engage this story in your home. <clears throat> All of us, from beginning of life to end of life, in terms of age groups, apart from one segment of our children's ministry, we are going to be studying this together. If you have a teenager in your home and they go to youth ministry, they'll be reading the same chapter that you'll be reading. They'll be engaging the material in their own way, but they'll be grappling with the reality of God, his upper story and his lower story. When you sit around a table at night, could you, could you bring this up? This gives huge opportunity to do faith at home. Huge opportunity for you to speak into the lives of your kids, to pass on the faith, and also to receive and to hear from them. So do it in your homes. Thirdly, engage this story in community. <clears throat> this, of course, is the dynamic of the small group reality. Let me tell you this, and I jumped ahead of myself just a little bit a minute ago. What you can experience in a personal way will be fantastic and good, but you'll find something in a life group that you won't experience on your own. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus will meet you. That's what we hope and we pray. This isn't just a bunch of nice people getting together to enjoy one another. That's part of it. Because <laughs> you are nice people, and you will. But it is to encounter Christ by his Spirit, opening your eyes, teaching you, forming you to be like himself. And I want to tell you this, too. It's jumping ahead slightly also, but what you will encounter in your life group, you will not encounter here. I hope you encounter a lot of God here, but 
the way you encounter God here is different than how you'll encounter him there. This is weaved into scripture. I've taught this for years. Jesus, what did he do when he wanted to impact the whole world? He formed a small group, 12 guys. Let's do life together. Let's love one another. Let's learn together. And out of the reality of this lower story of 12, man, the world was changed. I'm not kidding. 12 guys changed because God was in it. Will you pray for your life group if you're in one? your small group of whatever description, will you pray that when you gather together, God will meet you there and the Spirit of God will move in your life and the lives of other people in the way that he's not going to do it otherwise? So sign up for small groups. By the way, what I'm told, what I read, is there are a lot of people in our relational worlds who would love to know what the Bible is about. They've heard about it, but they don't have a clue about it. And very often when people are invited to participate in this discussion of the story, they say, hey, I'd like to do that. Can I become part of your small group? Take advantage of that. Is there someone you're in relationship with? Is there someone you're praying for? Take advantage of the opportunity and just say, just join us. Yeah, you're welcome. Come and become part of an encounter of God. Oof, wouldn't that be cool? And then lastly, what we want you to do in terms of engagement is we want you to, we want you to engage weekly. Can I ask you right now to, as we study these, cha- these chapters one at a time, as we seek to understand the whole story, can I ask you to make worship a great priority in your life? Um, this doesn't exist the way that it used to exist. Let's just be frank, right? You know, you, can you nod? Can you, you, know, you all get that, right? I've told you before regular attendance by many people now is defined as twice a month. Okay, I'm going to say this. And I hope you're all nice to me afterwards. Can you make your commitment to the Lord Jesus your regular attendance at his worship? If he is your priority, can I ask you to prioritize your meeting with him and your worship of him on a Sunday morning? Can you come to this place as we are taught in Scripture? The early church, first day of the week, right? First day of the week. Coming into the presence of God, worshiping him from their hearts, loving the Lord who has saved them, learning from his word, discovering what God is about, getting caught up in what God is doing. I want to challenge you, and I hope I have. I want to finish with this. You know, I tend to be a visionary guy. And I look forward and I think, you know, a year from now, what will IPC be like? How will it be changed? Because we have encountered the story. I think the potential for us to be changed is significant. I really do. Because when people encounter the truth of the Word of God, when people open their lives to the story, God moves in them. God comes alive. God becomes more real and more powerful. We understand more fully what the lower story looks like as our lives literally get caught up in the upper story of Almighty God. And the only way IPC is going to be different is, what, is when what I just described takes place. The people of God, the people of God, you and me, encounter the power of God and his love and his truth through his word. My friends, I I just want to finish by saying to you that as far as I'm concerned, what's before is, is huge potential. 
Huge opportunity to encounter God in a new way. Huge opportunity for us to be made new in Christ and for our lives to become significant in what God is doing in this world. I hope you're in. I hope you're in with both feet. I hope you'll run after this opportunity and discover not only what the Bible is all about, but what your role is in God's story and what it might be. Let's pray. Lord God, we stand and sit in your presence today and, and we recognize you as God. We recognize that we're not God. <laughs> Lord, we're not even close. But for some reason, you have created us that we might be in relationship with you, that you might love us and we might love you back. You have formed us in this time and in this place, both as individuals and as a church, Lord, to experience the reality of what it means to know and love and follow Jesus and in the process to get caught up in the grand narrative of Scripture, your overriding passion and desire and vision for what this world might become. God, our prayer today is that this will happen in IPC over this coming year. I pray for every person gathered here, Lord. And I pray that as they engage this story, as they read it, whether they're in a life group or not, Lord God, I pray that you'll change them, that you'll open their eyes to see what you are doing, that you will allow them to understand as they live in their lower story that, God, you are at work and you're powerful and that you are using all that they encounter. Yeah, for our good, but more importantly, to accomplish your dreams for what this world might again become. Lord, we live in the reality of creation and Genesis chapter 3, the fall, we've experienced, we've seen, we've come to know and believe in the redemption that has come in Jesus. Now you wish to use us to bring the restoration of your creation, to restore it, to make it that incredible place where we encounter you as we never have before. Where evil is destroyed, where sin is no more. God, we want to be part of that journey. And we want to be faithful in it. So Lord, help us to take advantage of this opportunity. Help us to dig in. Help us to get committed personally in our homes and in community experience of small groups and in worship. God, we're here for you. Shine through us, Lord. Teach us. Change us. As we grapple with and dig into an understanding of Scripture that's new and powerful and real. Lord, as we go, we simply pray for your blessing. Shower us with your blessing, Lord. Reveal yourself. Reveal your will. And lead us in the way that we need to be led. God, we're looking forward to this year and we commit it to you. We commit ourselves to you to that end. Pray these things in Jesus' name.